Sometimes I experience a sensation that is fairly intense, yet I cannot decide whether it is pleasant or unpleasant. I wait and it fades. Is this a common experience? How can one use this in practice? Uh, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not uncommon. It occurs from time to time. I'm assuming this is a physical experience. It's not really that useful. In order to enter the first jhana, what you need is an experience that you can decide, yes, this is pleasant. Uh, And if it's just a neutral experience, it could well be piti. Sometimes piti comes and it doesn't have any pleasure associated with it. Uh, When that happens, yeah, it's, it's not so useful. When you are in a position where you feel like this might arise, this sensation that's neither pleasant nor unpleasant or both or whatever, see if you can manage to come up with some mental pleasure. The easiest way to do that is practice metta. Okay, so you're following the breath, you're getting pretty quiet, right? It may feel like that, okay, that that sensation may come. So switch to doing some metta, which hopefully will bring some pleasure. The other thing is to, instead of doing metta, remember something that makes you smile, something a little kid did or something your pet did that brings a smile to your face. You can even wait until this physical sensation starts to arise and just sort of introduce the metta or the memory at that point. The tricky bit about the memory is not to get caught up in the story, but that's about the best I can say. Question? Would something funny work just as well as something happy? Yes, something funny will work also. I currently suffer from a lot of headaches. What would be your advice about meditating with a headache, both on retreat and at home? Unfortunately, painkillers don't work. Uh, Well, one, you want to make sure that the meditation is not causing the headaches. Uh, Make sure you're not crossing your eyes. There is a tendency amongst people when they concentrate to cross their eyes. So you want to make sure you're not doing that. Uh, If when you're meditating a headache seems to arise, it can be stuck PT. In which case, put your attention on the base of your spine, sweep your attention up your spine and out through the center of the headache. And do it maybe half a dozen times. See if that helps. It may not do anything at all. If you sit down with a headache, and that's going to be definitely difficult to concentrate, unfortunately. Uh, you might actually make the sensations associated with the headache the object of meditation. In other words, do your five things, Follow the breath and get yourself a little collected and then switch to the sensations of the headache and just focus on them. It may not make the headache go away, but it may provide you with good concentration. Uh, 
other than that, I don't really know how to work with it. And I wish you the best of luck dealing with your headaches. So I put up the sign-up sheet for the last round of interviews on the board out there. Once again, please try and sign up in more or less the order in which you had the second round of interviews. I think eight people will have their third interview this afternoon. And if the people who had early interviews sign up for late interviews, I'm going to wind up with people having two interviews today or an interview yesterday and today. This is not going to work. So if you had an interview early in the second round, please sign up today. Uh, That will help a great deal. Okay. So we've been talking about the four foundations of mindfulness and focusing on the first foundation, which is mindfulness of the body. We had six practices there, breath, postures, daily activities, parts of the body, four elements, and then the nine charnel ground contemplations. The second foundation of mindfulness is Vedana. Vedana is usually translated as feeling. It's a particularly poor translation because feeling often is thought of as emotions. Vedana does not mean emotions. Never, ever. Vedana means your initial experience of a sensory input. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There are three possibilities. That's it. There are Vedana that are generated by the external senses. In other words, you hear a sound. It's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. So any of the five external senses can generate a Vedana. When you taste something that tastes terrible, what you're reacting to is the unpleasant Vedana that's generated. And the sixth sense of the mind also will generate Vedana. When you think of something and it makes you smile, then the thought produced a pleasant Vedana. Okay? So the senses produce Vedana and your mental activities, your thoughts and emotions and memories produce Vedana as well. So I'll read you what the Buddha has to say. And how does one abide contemplating Vedana as Vedana? Here, experiencing a pleasant Vedana, one knows that one is experiencing a pleasant Vedana. Experiencing a painful Vedana, one knows that one is experiencing a painful Vedana. Experiencing a Vedana that is neither painful nor pleasant, one knows that one is experiencing a Vedana that is neither painful nor pleasant. Experiencing a pleasant sensual Vedana, one knows that one is experiencing a pleasant sensual Vedana. Experiencing a non-sensual Uh, A pleasant non-sensual Vedana, one knows that one is experiencing a pleasant non-sensual Vedana. 
experiencing a painful sensual vedana, experiencing a painful non-sensual vedana, experiencing a sensual vedana that is neither painful nor pleasant, experiencing a non-sensual vedana that is neither painful nor pleasant. One knows what one is experiencing. Okay, so this two parts here. One is simply know the vedana in terms of pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. So this practice is to simply pay attention to your sensory inputs and notice how your mind is responding to them. Then there's the sensual and the non-sensual. The actual word in Pali means with flesh and without flesh. And the scholars are debating what that means. The interpretation often given is a, a worldly Vedana and a spiritual Vedana. So a Vedana that arises due to something in the worldly realm or something that is in the spiritual realm. So the pleasure you would experience upon hearing the Dhamma would be a pleasant, non-sensual Vedana. The pleasure you hear, you experience when you hear from your boss, you've got a raise, would be a pleasant, sensual Vedana. All right? Uh, so that's one interpretation. Uh, another interpretation is that the ones with flesh refer to the five senses, and the ones without flesh refer to the mental or sixth sense, Vedana. Uh, I would say we really don't know what the Buddha meant. It is, however, useful to distinguish between the external sense, Vedana, and the mental Vedana. Um, Often what happens is there is an external sensory input, and we don't notice that Vedana, and we're completely lost in the thoughts and emotions, our reactions to that sensory input, and we wind up noticing the Vedana from that. I can give you an example. I'm going to say some phrases, and see if you can notice the Vedana of my, the sound of my voice as I'm saying it as distinct from the Vedana of the picture that I paint with the words. Okay? So, green grass, tall trees, big bushes, President Bushes. Oh, something different with that last one? <laughs> okay. The word bushes, I tried to say exactly the same, but your reaction in terms of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral might have been a bit different. I suspect that the sound of my voice was pretty much neutral for all the words. But the picture being painted perhaps was a bit pleasant on the first three and maybe somewhat different on the fourth one. I remember a student practicing Vedana. She was going for a walk. 
and she was just looking at things, seeing the colors. And there was blue, pleasant. Oh, rubbish bin, not pleasant. In other words, the blue was a pleasant color, but when she actually identified what the blue was associated with, it was an unpleasant thing. So why all this stuff about Vedna? Why such a big deal about something that is so fleeting? Well, we seem to act like when we arrived on this planet, somebody handed us an instruction manual that says, pursue pleasure, avoid pain, live forever. We run our lives basically oriented towards finding the pleasant and running away from the unpleasant, whether it be external sense pleasant or internal sense pleasant or unpleasant. In the teachings on dependent origination, one of the things that the Buddha points out is that our craving, which causes the dukkha, arises dependent on the Vedana. In other words, if we experience a pleasant Vedana, then we crave to keep the experience around or get it again. And craving is what leads to dukkha. Or if we experience an unpleasant Vedana, then we crave not to have that experience, to prevent it from coming back. What the Buddha pointed out was that the way to freedom was to experience the Vedana and then not get caught in the craving. You experience it, it's unpleasant, that's it. There may be something you should do, but don't crave around it. Or you experience the pleasant, enjoy it, but don't get caught up in craving to keep it or get it again or anything like that. Now, of course, one does this internally, externally, meaning your own Vedana and other people's Vedana. Now, unless you have the supernormal power of knowing the minds of others, knowing someone else's Vedana is going to be by inference. But if you see someone put their hand on the stove and then pull it off quickly and run cold water over it, you can probably experience you probably can know they're experiencing unpleasant Vedana. Or you watch some child eating chocolate and they have pleasant Vedana written all over their face. Okay, So sometimes you can tell what other people's Vedana experience is. One notices Vedana in their arising and their passing and they're both arising and passing. In particular, how short-lived the Vedana are. We're spending our whole lives running after pleasant Vedana that lasts for how long? I mean, if you take a bite of chocolate, it produces pleasant Vedana, assuming you like chocolate. But how long does it produce pleasant Vedana? Do you get five minutes pleasure from a bite of chocolate? 30 seconds? 10 seconds? How much do you get? And yet we spend our whole lives getting caught up in pursuing these Vedana, which give us just a few seconds, usually, of pleasantness. And then, thus, once mind is established, just to the extent necessary for knowing there are Vedana. And 
one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And that is how one abides contemplating Vedana as Vedana. So I'm going to do a guided meditation on Vedana. But first I thought I would see if there are any questions. Certainly what you describe, that Vedna, the, the distinction between Vedna and then attachment and Vedna and just leaving it be, is very important. Whether that's what the with flesh and without flesh refers to, I'd say we're probably not ever going to find out. There's just not enough hints left in the suttas to give us an, a, an understanding. But certainly, yeah, it's a very important point. Yes. Uh, or is it something that, that is innate? Uh, it's definitely conditioned in the sense it doesn't arise unless it's a sense contact. No sense contact, no Vedana. Whether you're going to respond with an experience of pleasant or unpleasant depends on certain factors. For a physical Vedana, there are some things that are simply going to always produce a pleasant or an unpleasant response. If I strike the bell, I think most people are going to experience that as a pleasant experience. It's a pleasant Vedana. If I had a blackboard and I scraped my fingernails down it, I think most people are going to experience it as quite unpleasant. And if I were to do that, okay, listen and hear, hear this is pleasant. Oh, no, try again. Try. You'd probably kill me, right? <laughs> okay. So, it would appear that for sounds, if the experience of the sound is somewhat simple and it involves overtones that make ratios of small whole numbers, we experience it as pleasant. If it makes ratios of that are large, we experience it as unpleasant. Now, this is a simple sound, like striking the bell. When you get to music, it's far more complex because there's the rhythm associated with it and what came before and what you anticipate will come after. And your familiarity with the scale that's being employed. I remember when I first went to Bali and heard gamelan music, it was weird, a little unpleasant, because they used a different scale. But it didn't take long before I was finding it quite pleasant. In other words, I had adjusted. Even though the individual sounds at first were pleasant, just the relationship amongst the different sounds was unfamiliar to me, and I experienced it somewhat unpleasant until I got used to it, and then it became quite pleasant. So it was somewhat malleable there. Tastes. I mean, think of all those horrible vegetables you had to eat as a child that you now like, right? So tastes can definitely change. Uh, Though there are some things that are so strongly unpleasant that you probably could never learn to like them. Uh, 
sites, remember, we only see colored shapes. The identifying it as, you know, a picture of your least favorite politician and having an adverse reaction is a mental thing. You're just seeing the colored shapes. There are some colors that go together very nicely, and there are some colors that don't work so well. The house I grew up in, in the kitchen there was a tile floor, and the floor consisted of large dark blue squares and smaller dark orange squares. It was hideous, but it was even more than hideous. We moved into the house and got settled, and my mother got up the first morning to go light the stove because she had to light the pilot light in order to fix breakfast. And she bent over to light the stove, and she almost threw up. She thought she was pregnant. Same thing the next morning. The third morning, she couldn't get it lit. She was so nauseated. So she got my father to light it. He bent over, and he almost threw up. He knew he wasn't pregnant. (laughs) Right? The colors, first thing in the morning, were so unpleasant that if you bent over and that field filled your field of vision, it literally would make you almost throw up. It was totally nauseating. Extremely unpleasant Vedana. Eventually, thankfully, they redid the floor. (laughs) So colors can have this. It's often difficult to really get the sense of the colors or of the visual Vedana when you look at something because you so get caught up in what it's a picture of or what the view is, I suggest going to a modern art museum where you can't recognize what you're looking at and then look at the colors. And some of the color combinations and shapes work really well or pleasant and others don't. Now, as for the mental stuff, that can be you know, quite malleable. That's what hopefully education is about. That's what the next three evenings are about. Yeah. Um, what's the secret of not seeing What's the secret of not, you know, when you get a pleasant not wanting to see What's the secret of not getting caught? Mindfulness. In other words, recognizing, understanding deeply that craving causes dukkha and then being mindful of your Vedana to such an extent that you recognize, oh, this is really pleasant. Better to enjoy it than start craving it. And the only hope you have is to be mindful of your Vedana, which is why the Buddha made this very fleeting thing one of the four foundations of mindfulness. It also helps to recognize that... To to gain a deep enough understanding of the impermanent and ultimately unsatisfying nature of everything (coughs) so that when you have an experience that produces pleasant Vedana, the tendency to crave isn't there because you realize there's nothing I can really hang on to. Nothing, Nothing is going to provide the lasting satisfaction. So the tendency to crave has been reduced by the depth of the insights that have come along. But in order to make it work, yeah, you've got to have to be mindful of the inputs.
where you experience someone's pleasant um, and sort of not get caught in it. Because like, when I got here, it was a very beautiful place. Mm -hmm. I was like, looking at the beautiful thing. And I think, well, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm on retreat. <laughs> no, it's perfectly okay to enjoy beautiful things. Don't do any craving. In other words, don't think, oh, this is a really beautiful place. I'll come back here every week. Or I'll come back here five times a year. Just go, this is a really beautiful place. I'm happy to be here. Now, maybe you will come back five times a year. Right? So there's nothing wrong with appreciating whatever is generating the pleasant vedna, provided you don't get hooked Basically, don't get hooked into the future of I'll keep it around or I'll get it again and again. Does that help? Right. So instead of reacting with the craving to make that stop by going away, you're like, okay, it's unpleasant. How can I investigate this in a, another way? When, when we experience unpleasant Vedana, I mean, this is, this is a survival tool from our evolutionary history, right? Unpleasant Vedana says something needs to be changed here. This is not good. But don't get caught and trapped in it. So you're in a place where you're experiencing unpleasant Vedana. Maybe the wise thing to do is to look at it in terms of interesting. It's, it's a way to deal with it skillfully without being caught. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, is that referring to the abandoning of Vedana? That's part of the entry to the fourth jhana. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, as with the previous passing of joy and sorrow, one enters and remains in the fourth jhana, a state beyond pleasure and pain. It's basically saying that it's a state that you are experiencing only neutral Vedana, not pleasant Vedana, not unpleasant Vedana, but only Vedana that are neutral. Yeah. Anything else on Vedana? What about the neutral Vedana? Do we need to worry about those? Usually we are ignoring them. Uh, the pleasant generates greed, the unpleasant generates aversion, and the neutral generates ignorance. Uh, we just ignore them. It's good to notice that many of our sensory inputs do generate a sense of, okay, it's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant, never mind. Okay, so we, we just have this ability to really just sort of dismiss things. We're on the lookout for the pleasant so we can get it, 
and so we can protect ourselves from the unpleasant. But so much of what's neutral we're tending to ignore. There actually can be things that produce neutral Vedana that can be useful or even dangerous. So paying attention to the sensory input, even if it doesn't produce a pleasant or an unpleasant input, can actually be quite useful. But it's much more difficult and probably would take a bit of a lower priority than avoiding getting into the craving of the pleasant or craving for the absent of the unpleasant because the craving itself is going to be much more problematic. But yeah, it's very helpful to notice the sensory inputs that don't produce a pleasant or unpleasant sensation and how little attention we pay to them. Right. Exactly. No, that's very good. Yeah, so if you're craving some food, look at the percentage of pleasant Vedana versus neutral Vedana when you're actually experiencing that food or anything else. Right. <laughs> that's that. It's a mental vedana. Okay. So you look into your soup. You see a hair. That's a visual input. It's pretty neutral. The visual. I mean, the contrast between the color of the hair and the color of the soup is not like my kitchen floor, right? Okay. But then there's the thought. Ooh, yuck. All right. The thought itself is what's producing the unpleasant vedana. And as I said, we often completely miss out on the, ec- the external sensory input and we're just lost in our downstream Vedna. So yeah, the, the reaction is actually a helpful reaction to recognize this is not healthy, right? And in fact, that's why it developed. We developed the... Yeah, the repulsion so that we didn't eat things that were unhealthy for us. But you don't need to have such a reaction that you go and sue the restaurant or whatever. Okay, so what I'm going to do is a guided meditation on Vedana. To notice the Vedana, you're going to need to be fairly concentrated. It's so quick, and we're so quickly caught up in the thoughts and emotions that come afterwards. So I'm going to give you some time. It's 1130, so I'll give you maybe half an hour to get concentrated. So, you know, 
look at this as a somewhat prolonged meditation session. Do what you can to build up your concentration. And then I will start making some sounds and listen and notice the Vedna of the sounds. Just notice how your mind reacts to the various sounds. The first sound I'm going to make is to strike the bell. That doesn't mean it's over. It's just the first sound, okay? And then I'll make some more sounds. And for each sound, see if you can notice the Vedana of it. There might be a temptation to, you know, wonder, how's he making that sound or what is that? Okay, but don't get lost in the downstream thoughts. Just see if you can be there with the Vedana itself, which is going to occur in general about a tenth of a second after the sound. So it's going to be really, really quick. They've done studies and they find that the brain's reaction to a sensory input occurs in the old brain, so it's not really under your control, your conscious control, and it shows up in about a tenth of a second. So it'll be quite quick.
That does mean it's over. So were you able to distinguish the Vedna of the sounds themselves? And perhaps the Vedna of your reactions? Any comments on this? Yeah, good. with the Vedna, it helps to practice in an environment where, yeah, it's fairly simple sounds. To, say, sit in an airport and be aware of the sound Vedana, if you've never done it before, would be literally overwhelming. So, yeah, it's nice to be in a place like this where it's simpler sounds and you can pay attention. Right, it's quite interesting that the context of the sound does seem to change the Vedana. Uh, the context is definitely one of the things that produces the overall experience. I would guess slightly unpleasant. Maybe it gets a little bit pleasant, but the sound doesn't change. So the sound Vedana remains the same, slightly unpleasant. But then if the pattern appears, then the pattern, which is mental, is going to generate the pleasant Vedana. And we usually get caught up in the mental Vedana and miss the, the actual sound Vedana itself. The trick, though, of course, is to recognize whatever is there and not get lost in the craving and clinging. What's one sound that has a strong effect? Was the one close to the water you made? Uh, initially, it didn't 
Yeah, good. Yeah. Now, if you don't know what's going on, then perception is not kicking in, and you're much more left with just the Vedana itself. Once the perception kicks in, then that's often followed by the stories about it and your memories associated with it and so forth. Basically what the Buddha said is that when there is a sense contact, there's the coming together of three things. The sense object, which would be the sound waves, the sense organ, your ear, and sense consciousness. You're paying attention to that. That's followed by the Vedana, and then the perception, the actually identifying what it is, and then the thoughts and emotions. But if you are unable to identify what it is, then one of two things happens. You're just there enjoying the Vedana or being upset by the Vedana, but the Vedana is the main experience. Or you're worried that you can't identify what it is, and now you're lost in the worry about trying to identify it. Perception is also a very interesting thing because we do have a tendency at times to misperceive things. So, And it can be quite instructive if you look at something and can't identify what it is you're looking at and to observe your mind struggling to figure out what it is. But the Vedana got generated, right? But you're missing that because you're caught up in the unpleasant Vedana of not knowing. But sometimes, if you don't really need to know, then yeah, you can just appreciate the pleasant Vedana of the experience. Right. I think that the the Vedana that you experience that's dependent on your mood is actually the mental Vedana. The sound Vedana is probably the same, but it's quickly overridden by what this means to your mood. I mean, if you're just about to get into the first jhana and they ring the bell, you're like, ah, awful. But if you're sitting here, starving and not concentrated and just waiting for the bell to ring, then, ah, nice. So, yeah, definitely the context plays a big role in how we experience something overall, the overall tone of the Vedana. What makes you jump out of your skin when you hear a sound? Yeah, the startle reflex. An evolutionary useful response uh, to bring you to a heightened awareness so you can deal with a saber-toothed tiger or whatever. And so if you're basically startled, then your defenses come on, and you're, you're ready to do the fight-or-flight thing. So it's not the sound, but the fact that it was unexpected that produces that. 
Uh, sometimes a pleasant sound can even produce the startle response, though generally the startle response is stronger if it's an unpleasant sound. But if you're, you know, walking in the woods or something, and it's very quiet, and suddenly you hear some sounds coming towards you. The sounds themselves might be quite okay, but now you're getting very worried because you don't know what it is. But again, this is the mental stuff downstream. Okay, so if you want to do this as an insight practice, I would suggest that you get quite concentrated and then coming out of the jhanas or out of access concentration, just put your full attention into your ears and listen. You'll hear sounds from outside. You'll hear sounds in the room. Just whatever sound comes along, notice whether your reaction is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. It's quite simple. But often hard to catch because we get so lost in what's coming, our thoughts and emotions coming afterwards. When you feel like you have a fairly good understanding of how to isolate the Vedana from a sound, then try touch sensations. Just begin scanning your body and noticing the sensations, the pressure of sitting and things like that, and notice that they're producing Vedana as well. A lot of it might be quite neutral, but just scan that. So first work with sounds, then work with touch. When you go to eat, as you walk into the dining room, there might be something to smell. Notice the Vedana there. And then when you're eating, there's a huge amount of Vedana. And what you want to try and do is simply notice when you put something in your mouth what the Vedana are. There will be the taste Vedana and the texture Vedana. And notice how it changes. Something that tastes good initially might, by the time you've chewed it a bit, be just sort of neutral. Or a texture might be weird, but you chew it enough and it sort of changes to neutral or something like that. Sight Vedana is, as I said, the most difficult because we quickly get caught up in identifying the object and working with it. But if you can look at something that you don't know what it is, then you can have a much better chance of actually getting the sight Vedana. Remember, your eye only sees colored shapes. Everything else is in your mind. And while you're doing all of this, you're going to be having what I call the downstream mental Vedana happening, so you'll be noticing those as well. Any questions on how you would use this as a practice? Okay, next time you're meditating in here and I ring this bell, notice the sound of the bell and notice your reaction to the end of the meditation period. It it takes some practice, okay? And it is possible to isolate it. That's why I say get yourself really concentrated and then just be with the sounds. 
And it's like you're a musician and you're listening as though you were going to repeat that sound. Right? You're really trying to catch the essence of what the sound is. But not in terms of its tone, but in terms of do you like it or don't like it. The way it, it, it goes is there's sense contact, Vedana, then identifying what the sense contact is, the perception, and then our reaction. So the decision about whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral comes before the perception? The ex- yeah, the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral comes before you actually identify what it is. You can see this when you get a sensory input and you can't identify it. But you can sometimes, if you're well-trained at observing Vedana, distinguish the Vedana as pleasant or unpleasant of what the input is. Right. There may be the... Right. There may be the pleasant from the sound itself, then you perceive what it is, and the perception is unpleasant, and then you think about it, and it's like, well, it's not such a big deal, and now it goes to neutral. So all of these are going to have Vedana associated with them, because the sense contact of the thinking is sixth sense input, so it's going to have a perception. More Vedana and more perception, and it just goes on. Right. How does this relate to when you were talking about the five aggregates? Is this the, the second one, or the second one and the third one? The Vedana is the second of the five aggregates. I'll talk in detail about the five aggregates tomorrow. But the five aggregates are body, so that would be the ear or the eye, and then four parts mind, Vedana, the perceptions, the mental formations, the thoughts, emotions, and memories, and then consciousness. I think that you can train yourself so that your reaction becomes neutral. But I think the sound will still be producing the unpleasant. Okay? So if it's traffic noise, yeah, it's producing an unpleasant reaction in terms of the sound. It's a lot of inharmonic waves striking your ear, and this is producing the unpleasant. But you, you can not have a reaction of, oh, this is horrible or whatever, and just have a neutral reaction. I think you can train yourself that way.
But I suspect that if you were totally successful at that and then suddenly the sound stopped, you'd feel some relief. (laughs) In other words, you would no longer be having the unpleasant sound Vedana, even though you weren't having the any sort of unpleasant mental Vedana, but when the sound Vedana stopped. I say this from basically listening to my refrigerator when I meditate. You know, there's the sound. It's, it's not all that unpleasant, but it's still, it's not pleasant, and it's annoying that it's going on. But if I'm good, I can just leave it there in the background, right? And it's not bothering me. And I, I don't even really notice it anymore. And then it stops. And every time it stops, it's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So even the cessation of sound can cause pain. Oh, yeah. Right? There's a, a bit of a Vedana there because the new sound is without the ring. And if you were attached to the ring, now you don't like it. Now, it's probably mental Vedana that you're experiencing. The, there are no more sound waves hitting your ear from the bell, but the mental of, I'm disappointed he stopped it, is what you hear. Right. Mental Vedana is some Vedana that arises independent of the five senses. Okay. So when I stop the sound, it's not that there are different sound waves hitting your ear that cause it. It's your reaction to, oh, I like that sound and he stopped it. It was jarring when it stopped so suddenly. All right. But it's not being produced because of the sound waves. It's being produced because of your reaction to... That feels slightly different than a Vedana produced by a thought. Right, but it's still mental Vedana. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's the Vedana produced by a thought, the Vedana produced by an emotion, the Vedana produced by a memory, the Vedana produced as you're reacting to external sensory input or the lack thereof. And all of this would be considered mental Vedana. I read a statistic fairly recently, I don't remember it quite accurately, but I think it was that 80% of our mental activity is internally generated. At most, only 20% is coming from our senses. So it's all about thinking and emoting around what's come in as opposed to actually taking in new information. Anything else? Okay, so this is the second foundation of mindfulness, just to pay attention to your reactions, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, to the sensory input that you're experiencing. 
so that you don't get caught up in the craving and clinging that can arise dependent upon those Vedanas.